Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to The Guided Journey. This is a podcast that's going to take you on a spiritual expedition towards a deeper understanding of Islam. In each episode, we'll explore the teachings of the Quran and Sunnah and discover how they can enrich our daily lives. This is a journey we're all choosing to take together, myself included. So join me on the ultimate redemption arc. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us in this endeavor and allow us to discover just how transformative faith and reflection can be. Allahumma amin. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to episode three of The Guided Journey. Today we're going to talk about a pretty sensitive topic and it's something that affects a lot of people. We're going to talk about the intersection between depression and iman and more broadly the intersection between mental health struggles and Islam and our faith. We're going to talk about how navigating these things simultaneously is incredibly challenging how these things are incredibly related and intertwined and they can feed into each other. But it's not necessarily causative. It's not like one causes the other. But we're going to talk about all of this, inshallah ta'ala. I do want to give the disclaimer that because this episode is on depression, if you find yourself triggered in any way whatsoever, please take the necessary precautions. Reach out to friends and family. Find folks who are willing to support you. And if you feel overwhelmed at any point during listening to this episode, please pause, take a break, and focus on protecting your own mental health. Another disclaimer I want to give, again, is this episode is meant to kind of give general information and support. I am not a mental health professional. I have my own personal experience with mental health struggles and depression specifically, so I'll speak a little bit from personal experience. But I'm not a professional and I don't want anything I say to provide or replace any sort of professional advice or treatment. If you or someone you know is struggling with depression or mental health issue, I strongly, strongly encourage you seek help from a qualified mental health practitioner. And again, really reach out to your existing support system in your friends and family. Okay, amazing. So as we're beginning, let's first establish a common understanding of depression. 
Depression is a mental health condition. It is an illness. It's characterized by persistent feelings of sadness, loss of interest, lack of energy, but it's not just this kind of passing feeling of sadness or a temporary low mood. It really is a persistent, intense state of emotional and physical distress. It affects your thoughts, your emotions. It affects your daily functioning. A lot of people describe instances in which they cannot function during their day because of this persistent depression. From a scientific standpoint, depression really does involve kind of interplay of a lot of important factors. And these factors include biological factors, psychological factors, social factors. There are even imbalances in the chemicals in your brain, including norepinephrine, serotonin. All of these chemicals play a role in depression. And when these neurotransmitters are at an imbalance or they're not at their physiologic level, that's when we start to see some of that depression and mental illness surface because these transmitters, their role is to regulate the mood, the emotions, the function, and the second their levels get a little bit out of whack, we start to see how that manifests in a person. Some other interesting things you might not have known about depression is that there are actually genetic factors involved in it. And if someone has a family history of depression, they're more likely and more prone to developing the condition themselves. Again, it's, it's really hard to identify kind of one sole factor in depression because there isn't. There's not one clear answer as to why a person develops depression. It's not just the genetic thing. It's not just the chemical imbalance. A lot of times it's brought on by stress, emotional distress, low self-esteem, financial difficulties, relationship problems. All of these things can trigger or exacerbate a pre-existing depressive episode. So as someone who has really struggled with depression in my own life, I can speak from experience that it 100% plays into your Iman and your faith. It 100% can affect your experience of Islam. Like I mentioned, these things are related. They're intertwined. Your mental health and your spirituality don't exist in separate bubbles. These things plays so much into one another. So we're going to dive into a couple of big topics from here. We're going to cover some of the realistic ways that depression can have a significant impact on your Iman. We're also going to cover some of the very common misconceptions about depression and Iman. We're going to cover what Islam itself says about depression and feelings of sadness and anxiety. And then we're going to talk about what are some ways we can realistically combat our depression, have our Islam and our mental health work hand in hand. Okay, starting off with how depression can actually realistically impact your Iman and your faith. I don't even know if I have to go too far into detail here. I feel like a lot of us have maybe seen how this plays out, but, but maybe not, right? Maybe you're interested to know more because it relates to someone in your family, because you know of a friend who's struggling with depression. It really is important to understand how depression can impact these things. One of the biggest ways depression can impact your Iman is through social isolation. One thing a lot of people who struggle with depression will tell you is that they feel the need to withdraw from social situations, isolate themselves, and spend more time alone than they normally do. This results in kind of a distancing yourself from your community, as you can sense. 
And what comes alongside that distancing is also kind of lack of community support. There's a lack of ears to listen to what you're going through, but there's also a limited access to spiritual guidance. Because you're isolating yourself, you're not going to the halqas, you're not going to Friday prayer, you're not going to the lectures when the guest speaker comes in. When you have depression and you're struggling with social withdrawal, you literally have reduced opportunities for spiritual growth. You have less opportunities than the people around you, than your friends, than your community to engage in a true Islamic community. You miss out on that huge experience. So that's one of the first ways I can think of that depression really truly ends up impacting your Islam. Another way it can impact your Iman and your experience of the faith is through loss of interest and pleasure. So this is really related to the social isolation piece, but loss of interest and pleasure also kind of, it reflects you losing interest and pleasure in things you normally enjoyed doing, and that can include your religious practices. So a lot of people with depression find it difficult to engage in acts of worship. They find it difficult to stand up for salat or for prayer. They find it difficult to read the Quran. They find it difficult to attend religious gatherings. And these could have been things they enjoyed doing. You know, these could have been things that they used to find benefit and support and comfort in. I think a lot of us know you know, some of us who have good relationships with Islam pre-existing, you know that when you pray, you end up feeling better. You know that when you read the Quran, your heart feels a little bit lighter. When you're listening to less music and listening to more Islamic podcasts or whatever it is, you feel a little bit better. You know that these things help you. But then something happens when you're depressed. You literally lose interest in the things that you know could help you. You lose interest in the things that used to bring you so much joy and comfort. And this is a huge, huge way that depression ends up impacting your Islam. You feel this loss of connection to these religious practices that you used to enjoy, that you used to find comfort in. So subhanAllah, that's two already. Social isolation, loss of interest. Another huge one is reduced energy and concentration. This is incredibly related, as I mentioned, to these other things, but it's different. It's distinct. Depression quite literally causes fatigue. You find yourself wanting to sleep more. You find yourself with lack of energy. You find yourself with an inability to concentrate. This was one of the biggest things I struggled with when I had depression. Reduced energy and concentration. I literally, it was like I knew praying would help me. I knew reading Quran would help me. But I felt just lethargic. I felt like there was no energy in my body. I didn't want to get up. I didn't want to do things. I felt extreme fatigue. And so folks who are struggling with depression, they find it difficult to kind of sit for long periods of time and listen to a khutbah or listen to the Quran or even make it out of their bed most days. A lot of people with depression struggle with even getting themselves to get up and eat food. And again, it's not like they don't know that these things are good for them. It's that your body doesn't feel like it. Your body feels exhausted your body feels like there's no interest in doing these things so these are three things already again recap social isolation loss of interest and reduced energy there's a couple more um, another one is negative thinking patterns this one is is probably one of the more damaging ones in my opinion so when you're someone who's struggling with depression you have a lot of negative thinking patterns 
Um, and this causes you to focus on things that aren't helpful or aren't beneficial. You find yourself focusing on your flaws, your mistakes, your shortcomings, and you find yourself burdened with guilt, feelings of doubt, feelings of lack of self-worth, actually. And that feeling of lack of self-worth and focusing only on all the things that you feel are wrong with you, all of the things, your shortcomings, your flaws, your mistakes, these things build up and these things quite literally stand in the way of you being able to practice Islam It's meant in the way that it's meant to. Now, out of all the four things I just mentioned, again, I, I literally remember experiencing each and every one of these, subhanAllah, but again, this negative thinking pattern was the most damaging. It was the most, it was the most jarring. It was the most distorting. It was the most, it, it causes you to have a different perception of yourself. If you're normally someone who's pretty happy, you have a good time, you think pretty, you know, normal of yourself, you think you're a pretty good person, but then you find yourself in your this depressive state and all of a sudden you have this feeling that you're not worthy or you're inadequate or all you do is make mistakes and all you're doing is messing up and all you have is shortcomings. It's a really, really distorting feeling. And when you feel unworthy, when you feel inadequate, this causes you to feel even unworthy of practicing Islam. This causes you to feel unworthy of even getting close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This makes you feel unworthy of making dua. This makes you feel unworthy of asking for forgiveness. And it's exhausting. It is such an exhausting space of mind to exist in, to constantly think like that. And sometimes depressive episodes last months they last years people are depressed for very long periods of time and imagine constantly existing in a headspace where you don't feel worthy where you don't feel beautiful where you don't feel adequate where you don't feel where you don't feel even important this negative thinking pattern drives people to make mistakes they end up regretting the second you lose that sense of self-worth self-value you end up making decisions that the previous you would have known not to make. So subhanAllah, people are driven to making different what they feel are coping mechanisms and oftentimes that can lead to self-harm, that can lead to suicidal ideation. It's a dark place to exist in and so subhanAllah, this is definitely one of the things you want to keep your eyes on, you want to take notice of if it starts to show up in your friends or in your family. Are they developing negative thinking patterns? Do you see this loss of interest? Do you see this reduced energy? Do you see social isolation? There's actually one more thing I want to mention. This is the fifth thing that I really think causes depression to impact your Iman and your Islam and your experience of this deen as a whole. And this comes in the form of spiritual doubts. Because of all of the things I mentioned, these negative thinking patterns, this loss of interest, this reduced energy, socially isolating yourself, it kind of causes you to develop these feelings of doubt. You start to question your faith, you start to question your belief. And it's very possible that you have been depressed and not experienced spiritual doubts. This is not one of the ones that I think is universal to everyone. I think the other four are pretty consistent with people who develop depression and are, you know, were previously pretty religious and practiced Islam. 
But this feeling of spiritual doubts is not a universal one. It kind of only shows up in some people from what I've seen. A lot of times though, when you're depressed, it can cause you to start questioning your faith and your belief. You start to struggle with existential questions, wondering why you're even alive if you were only meant to experience struggle and strife, subhanAllah. You start to wonder why you're even experiencing this, why you're experiencing all this suffering, even though you were someone who believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even though you were someone who practiced your faith. You start to wonder, why is this happening to me? Um, and this kind of internal conflict of being unable to wrap your head around why you specifically developed depression and why you specifically are going through this period of struggle, this can have a really detrimental effect on your iman and the way that you see Islam and the way that you perceive Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. People will go through periods of depression or other mental illnesses and think, how could Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do this to me? Maybe that's something you've thought before. Maybe you've heard your friend say that sentence. How is it that he would allow this suffering to manifest in me? I've been trying my hardest. I've been doing everything that I can. And here's the thing. We're not really in the part of the episode where I can give you any answers yet. But what I can tell you is that for one, there's not a direct answer. But there are some things to keep in mind that I think can keep these feelings of spiritual doubts at bay. And we're going to come back to directly addressing this question of why is it it's happening to me and how do you combat with that feeling? So, okay, we've covered some of the main ways that depression can very realistically affect the way that you practice Islam and how it will show up in your iman. We talked about the social isolation, we talked about the negative thinking patterns, the loss of interest, the reduced energy, and the spiritual doubts. So... Now we're going to move into a little bit of the misconceptions that people like to think. And maybe, let me clarify, it's not even that they like to think it, it's probably because they don't have any real experience with depression themselves or because they haven't seen it manifest in the people around them or because they see some of these characteristics, like I mentioned, the loss of interest, the social isolation, maybe it causes them to form their own opinions and their own understandings about depression. And like the name suggests, these are usually misconceptions. A lot of times these aren't actually accurate or reflective depictions of why or how depression ends up manifesting in Iman. So we're going to hit the biggest one right now. The first and foremost one that I hear the most, that I have heard the most, and that I low-key think might be one of the most damaging ones to assume. That misconception is that depression in and of itself is a sign of weak Iman. I guarantee you've probably heard this sentence at some point. Depression is just weak Iman. Depression is just weak Iman. This is so reductive. Depression is not just a sign of weak Iman. It, it might not even be reflective of your Iman at all. Depression, as we've covered, is quite literally a medical condition and it can affect anyone regardless of their level of iman, regardless of their religious devotion, it's not a reflection of your faith, whether you have it or you don't have it. Um, and a lot of these multifaceted issues like depression, like anxiety, like post-traumatic stress disorder, these are things that are complicated and very real, very scientific, very much proven to have a scientific basis in our bodies biologically, 
And we've covered a little bit already how it can show up in your Iman and how it may look like you have low Iman because you don't want to practice so much, because you're struggling with your prayer and reading Quran, it might look like you have low Iman. But depression isn't a sign of weak Iman because it's a medical condition. It's quite literally a medical condition. It's a mental health issue and should be treated as such. So that's the first one. And it honestly bleeds into a lot of the following misconceptions about I'm about to say. And the second one is actually the inverse of the first one. The second one is that having strong Iman protects you from depression, that it guarantees you'll be protected from developing mental illness or mental health issues. And the reality is that while it's incredibly true that your spirituality, your faith, your Islam, your Iman can provide you so much comfort and support and it can kind of serve as like an armor that you put on you like a shield, it's not an absolute shield. And sometimes you can have incredibly high Iman and find yourself in a period of depression. You can find yourself still overcome with anxiety even though you had all of this Iman as armor, even though you were carrying all of this faith and spirituality with you all day, every day, you can still develop mental health conditions. So these first two definitely go hand in hand. This assumption that depression is a sign of weak Iman and that having strong Iman will protect you against depression. Both of these things are misconceptions and they can be true in specific situations. It's possible someone could develop depression from having low Iman, that's not necessarily a blanket statement that you can just make and say that it's 100% true. And same with the other way around. It's very possible that your strong Iman could protect you against depression, but it's not a blanket statement and you could have strong Iman and still develop depression. We're going to hit a few more misconceptions. The next one being that depressed individuals are spiritually weak or they're just lacking in the religious practice. Now, this is a little bit different than just saying depression is a sign of weak Iman because this misconception is saying that you weren't that religious to begin with and that is why you developed depression. That because you're depressed, it's because you weren't doing everything you needed to do religious-wise. You weren't praying your five times a day, you weren't reading the Quran, you weren't doing the Qir, and that's why you developed depression. Again, I will never in my life tell you that Islam is not the greatest shield we can have against developing mental illness. Because it is. It really is a shield and a protector and a blessing for us. But this linear relationship that people try to draw between developing mental illness, developing depression, and that being some sort of indicator of how strong or committed you are to your faith or lack thereof, that you're not strong or committed to your faith or that you don't believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the way you're meant to, it's not a direct correlation and it's definitely not a direct causation. You really could pray five times a day, read your Quran every day and still find yourself in this persistent feeling of sadness. You could still feel empty on the inside. You could still feel deeply unhappy. You could feel triggered, traumatized. You could feel fatigued. You could feel that loss of interest. You could feel like you wanna isolate yourself from every single person on this planet and you can 100% still develop spiritual doubts about Islam while practicing Islam. We see it all the time. We see people who are praying there five times a day and reading Quran, but still find themselves with these deep, burdening questions of what is it? Why do I feel this way? Why is it Allah made me feel this way? Developing depression 
is not some sort of indicator that you weren't praying enough or that you weren't reading Quran enough. And that kind of brings me to the next misconception that praying and engaging in religious practices alone will cure your depression. Because think about it this way, if you were already doing your five daily prayers, if you were already doing the requirements and reading Quran and fasting and doing the things you're meant to do and developed depression, why would you think that just doing those things alone would cure your depression? And again, I'm going to make this disclaimer probably every five minutes. I'm not saying these aren't a necessary part of the treatment process. That reading the Quran, praying your prayer, talking to your imam, finding that religious support is going to be necessary for you to come out of this battle. But if you have a true, true chemical imbalance in your brain, if you have the full presentation of clinical depression, you are going to need a little bit more. And that's okay. That's okay that you're going to need a little bit more. It's okay that you might need medication and talking to a professional like a therapist or a clinical psychologist. These are going to be a part of your treatment regimen. And one of the most damaging parts of the misconception that praying and reading Quran alone will cure your depression is that it limits the ability for people who are actually struggling with depression to get the help that they need. When you have this misconception that depression is just a cause of weak iman or that it's an indicator that you weren't praying enough or that reading Quran alone will cure you of your depression, you're starting to place real barriers for people with depression to get the help that they need, to talk to the doctors that they need, to get the medication that they need. Treatment plans for people involve a really comprehensive approach. It involves medication sometimes. Sometimes it involves therapy. It involves lifestyle changes. It involves social support. It involves leaning on your friends and family. And as Muslims, it's going to involve leaning on the Quran. It's going to involve strengthening your iman. Those are going to be necessary, necessary pieces of the puzzle. But you can't just pick up one piece of the puzzle and say, yep, I've got the complete picture because you don't. And then there's one more misconception that I kind of have noted here, but I feel like I've hit the hammer <laughs> quite a bit already explaining it. But that fifth one is that seeking help is a sign of weakness of faith. And you can probably guess my response to this is going to be the same, to, <laughs> as I said, for every single one of the other misconceptions. Seeking help is courageous and it's a proactive step you're taking towards your healing. It's showing that you're self-aware, you recognize something is going wrong. It's showing that you're resilient. It shows that you're committed to taking care of yourself. And it actually is an indicator that because you want to heal yourself, you want to heal yourself for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you want to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You want to be able to go back to praying your prayers, reading your Quran. It is so important. We are challenging these misconceptions head on, that we are open to having conversations with people about it. Maybe your parents, your aunts, your uncles, maybe it's the previous generation that kind of instilled these ideas in us, that having depression is some sort of indicator of low iman, not practicing your faith. Maybe those are the folks we need to talk to. Maybe we need to challenge their ideas. Or maybe it's even our friends or community members, people that we know personally. We need to be willing to have these conversations with people so that the people who really need help the depressed, struggling people in our community are able to get the help and the support that they need. Okay, so let's move into a little bit more of what Islam itself says about depression and anxiety and things of that nature. 
there are some direct instances that we can find in the Quran and in the Hadith. So let's cover a little bit of that inshallah. So there's actually one Hadith in particular I really want to start with. This Hadith can be found in Sahih al-Bukhari 52-69. And it's actually found in the chapter on divorce. And the hadith is about how a divorce that's given in the state of anger or under compulsion or while you're intoxicated or or some sort of like mental insanity, all of those things kind of nullify if you're going to give a divorce to someone. So it doesn't seem related to what we're talking about, but ju- just listen to the hadith. So this hadith was narrated by Abu Huraira, may Allah be pleased with him, who said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Allah has forgiven my followers for the evil thoughts that occur in their minds as long as such thoughts are not put into action or uttered. So let me say that one more time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forgiven my followers for the evil thoughts that occur to their minds as long as such thoughts are not put into action or uttered. So believe it or not, I've actually heard this hadith again, which kind of has its origins and context based in divorce. I've heard this hadith used in the context of a khutbah given on depression. And it's because this hadith teaches us a very important lesson. It's that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes into account that sometimes we're going to have impulsive thoughts. Sometimes unhelpful, unproductive, maybe problematic, maybe haram ideas will cross our mind or you know we'll feel it a little bit in our heart. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says as long as you kind of let those things pass by and you don't act on it or you don't say it out loud, he forgives you for it. And this is incredibly important when it comes to depression because sometimes we have really unhelpful thoughts. Sometimes we have really dark thoughts. And it's really helpful to know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives you for having those thoughts so long as you don't end up putting it into action. And this might apply to someone who has considered self-harm, who has considered, you know, even worse forms of self-harm. But so long as you let these thoughts pass by, and you know, however painful that is to not not really ignore it or suppress it, not to say that you shouldn't address it, but if you don't end up acting on it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives you for it. So this is a really important hadith to me to just keep in mind and to set the stage that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't just start punishing you for things that you're thinking and things that you're feeling and things that are occurring in your mind and in your heart. The second kind of piece that I want to mention is from the Quran, actually. And this is from Surah Al-Ma'arij. In verse number 19, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, In verses 19 through 20, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Indeed, humankind was created impatient, distressed when touched with evil, and withholding when touched with good. There are other kind of translations of these ayahs, namely that word impatient. That ayah, indeed, humankind was created impatient, can also be translated as the human being was created full of anxiety or verily man is born with a restless disposition. These are all really valid ways that this ayah has been translated before in the past. And I personally look to this ayah 
Indeed, humankind was created anxious as the single most comforting thing to read and know when it comes to understanding and processing my own anxiety. So for me, anxiety has been a really big part of my life and it has been an incredibly huge struggle in my life. And for some reason, when I learned this ayah, there was something about learning that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us to be anxious that felt comforting, that made me feel like I was in company with the people around me and that there are literally billions of other people that were also created to be anxious. It made me feel a little less alone on one hand, and on the other hand, it made me realize that this was all according to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's design of the human, that he created us to be anxious and he created us to have these imperfections. For me, this ayah is really helpful in order to contextualize my depression as well. There is no human experience that's unique or unbeknownst to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, I'm not going to go as far as saying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us to be depressed in the same way that this ayah says he created us to be anxious. But knowing that some of these struggles and difficulties were part of his design should be a somewhat comforting thing to know. The next ayah I want to give you should be another comforting one. And this was narrated by Abu Sa'id al-Qutri and Abu Huraira. May Allah be pleased with them both. This can be found in Sahih al-Baqari 5641 and 5642. It was narrated that the Prophet said, No fatigue, disease, sorrow, sadness, hurt, or distress befalls a Muslim, even if it were the prick he receives from a thorn, but that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expiates some of his sins for that. This hadith not only builds onto this idea we were just discussing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created this master design of a plan and that plan includes us befalling into some of these illnesses including anxiety but that he doesn't give us any of these feelings of fatigue, disease, sorrow, sadness, hurt or distress except that he plans to expiate some of our sins for that, except that he plans to forgive some of our sins for going through the trials we're going through. This is so comforting, subhanAllah. There are a few more hadith I want to give you. A couple are, you know, feel-good vibes, and there's a couple that may cause you to think a little bit more. So let's round off some of these feel-good ones. The first one I want to tell you about is one that was reported by Anas ibn Malik, may Allah be pleased with him, who said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intends good for his servant, then he hastens the punishment for him in this world. And then there's another narration of this exact same hadith that says, verily with greater rewards comes greater trials. Verily when Allah loves a people, he will test them. This hadith is in Sunnah At-Tirmidhi 2396. And this hadith is kind of a little bit more broad. It's about trials in general. But we know as folks who have probably experienced depression and other forms of illnesses and tribulations that these are pretty big trials. Depression and anxiety have been some of the biggest trials I've been faced with in my life. And so reading some of these hadiths that by experiencing these greater trials that great rewards come alongside of them 
And if that for some reason these are forms of punishment for me, it's because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intends good for me. So he hastened my punishment in this world so that I won't have to deal with it in the next life. So this kind of actually brings me to the next hadith. And this hadith might be a little bit uncomfortable to hear. This can be found in Musnad Ahmed 24708. And it was reported by Aisha, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with her, who said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa said, If the sins of a servant are numerous and he does not have good deeds to compensate, Allah will afflict him with sadness as an expiation for him. So, subhanAllah, this is, it kind of goes a little bit hand in hand with the hadith we were just talking about. How when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intends good for his servants, then he'll hasten the punishment for them in this world. But this hadith makes you think a little bit deeper that it can be when your sins are too numerous and you don't have good enough deeds to compensate for them that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will afflict you with this sadness as a means of expiating your sins or forgiving you for them. This should be eye-opening that it's very possible that these feelings we're feeling, that this depression that's been brought down upon us, it could be that our sins are too high. And it could be that we don't have good enough deeds to compensate for them. We've been talking on and on and on about how depression isn't necessarily a sign of weak iman. It isn't necessarily a sign of not being religious enough. But this hadith tells us that it's possible that it could be. It's possible that for some of us, when our sins are too high and our good deeds are can't compensate for them, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is afflicting us with this sadness to expiate for it. This one right here is a little bit of an eye-opener. And I hope upon hearing this hadith, it causes you to reflect a little bit, a little bit about your own condition, your own state, and why you might think depression might be manifesting in your life. The beautiful thing about this hadith though, is that at the end, it tells us at the very last line, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will afflict him with sadness as an expiation for him. It's not just Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will afflict him with sadness, period. It doesn't end there that the sadness and the depression is brought upon you as a means of punishment. It's actually brought down as an expiation for you. And expiation kind of means atonement. This is how you can make it up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Expiation is like making amends. And by struggling through this trial that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is putting you through, by struggling through this sadness and affliction and pain, and by doing so with your faith still grounded in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is a means, this can be a means of making amends to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I just, I find that so beautiful that even through your hardship, even through your difficulty, you can find in these means and ways of expiating your sins and drawing close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's love and mercy there's no way of not only quantifying it we can see that his love and his mercy is not contingent upon our outward acts of worship that even when we've done wrong even when our sins are incredibly high and we don't have good enough deeds to compensate for it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still shows us mercy. He still gives us a path of making up for it so that we won't have to, so that we can get right with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I truly think these hadiths should provide you with so much comfort and encouragement. 
and a reminder that your struggle is not in vain. Your struggle was not only designed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this can be your means of getting closer to him. So there are a few hadiths I want to leave you with that I hope you will use to guide your way back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And again, not even to make the assumption that you did stray from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that you did find yourself drifting further and further in, from Islam. But in the instance that you did, in the instance that you found yourself deep in depression and you had no way of getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because you were dealing with this reduced energy, this loss of interest, these negative patterns, these spiritual doubts. Because of this, if you find yourself drifting from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I really, really, really want to encourage you to recognize that this doesn't inherently make you a bad Muslim, that you are going through a struggle that was designed for you to experience. And that there are ways for you to come out of this a stronger person and a stronger Muslim. So this hadith that I'm about to tell you is a hadith that I love. This was narrated by Suhaib. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with him. It can be found in Sahih Muslim 2999. And it says that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Wondrous is the affair of a believer, as there is good for him in every matter. This is not the case for anyone but of a believer. If he experiences pleasure, he thanks Allah and it is good for him. If he experiences harm, he shows patience and it is good for him. The Prophet ﷺ told us that the affair of the believer is so beautiful and so wondrous that whether there is good for you or bad for you in a situation, whether you are experiencing pleasure or whether you are experiencing harm, so long as you are thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it ends up being good for you in the end. It ends up being good for you. It ends up making it into your book. It ends up being something you're rewarded for. And this hadith tells us that this is only the case for the believer. This is not the case for anyone but us. This blessing that we were given that through pleasure and through harm, so long as we show patience and thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it ends up being good for us in the end. The next hadith I want to tell you is actually a dua that the Prophet sallallahu used to make to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there is a very specific supplication that he taught us in order to cure our depression and our anxiety. I encourage you to look up this dua. It's incredibly useful. Um, you can find the Arabic version of it. I'm just going to read to you the English translation. But you can find it in Musnad Ahmed 3704. It was narrated by Ibn Mas'ud, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with him, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa said, O oh Allah, I am your servant, the son of your servant, the son of your maidservant. My forelock is in your hand. Your command concerning me prevails, and your decision concerning me is just. I call upon you by every one of the beautiful names with which you have described yourself or which you have revealed in your book, or you have taught to any of your creatures or which you have chosen to keep in the knowledge of the unseen with you. To make the Qur'an the delight of my heart, the light of my chest, and to remove my sadness and dispel my anxiety. This dua has the potential to cure both your depression and your anxiety as the Prophet ﷺ taught us this dua to do just that. 
you begin this dua by telling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and proclaiming that you're his servant. You're the son and the daughter of his servants and his maidservants. And then you affirm that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's command concerning you will always prevail and that his decision concerning you will always be just and fair. You tell him you will call upon him by every single one of the beautiful names that he's described himself, that he's revealed in the Quran, that he's taught to us as creatures, that he's chosen to keep in the knowledge and the, of the unseen with him. Because we've talked about how calling upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by the names he most highly favors benefits you more than anything. And then finally, the Prophet ﷺ gets to the dua and he says, I'm asking you to make the Qur'an the delight of my heart and the light of my chest. And I'm asking you to remove my sadness and dispel my anxiety. This is such a powerful, powerful dua. And if you find yourself struggling with depression and anxiety, again, I strongly encourage you to learn this dua and recite this dua. The final hadith I want to give you is a hadith which I think covers the concept of treating yourself well. One thing we know really well when it comes to the treatment of depression and other mental illnesses is that it involves a comprehensive lifestyle change. That it's going to take sometimes medication like we've talked about. It's going to sometimes take therapy like we've talked about. It's also going to take you looking at your life and reevaluating some of the decisions you're making. It's going to involve you going on walks more, going into nature. It's going to involve you fixing your sleep. It's going to involve you eating better, getting better nutrition. These are all valid recommended treatments for depression. And so in the hadith, in Abu Dawood 1369, it was narrated by Aisha, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with her, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Verily, your own self has rights over you. So fast and break your fast, pray and sleep. Your own self has rights over you. And this part, I think, is me talking directly to myself. But sleep is non-negotiable. Eating three times a day, if not more, plenishing your body with nutritious, healthy food these are non-negotiables. This is required upon you to take care of yourself. There are so many hadith just like this that emphasize eating properly and sleeping properly. There's even the ayah from Surah Al-Naba, which is chapter 78 in the Quran in verse 9. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, We made your sleep for rest and the night as a covering. We made your sleep for rest and the night as a covering. You are meant to sleep. You're meant to take care of your body. And isn't it just so convenient that these happen to be some of the best recommendations people will give you when you're struggling with depression? So subhanAllah, there is so much to cover in this topic. I don't think by any means I covered everything. We can consider this episode as a part one and inshallah we can build upon this as the podcast continues. But I really hope this was the beginning of a long conversation for you. I hope you use what you've learned here to talk to your friends and your family, whether it be for your own sake because you're the one struggling, or whether it be for your friend's sake or your family member's sake because you happen to notice some of these signs showing up. 
Depression is not a sign of weak Iman, but it absolutely is related and it absolutely can be a sign of weak Iman. It is so important we assess these illnesses and these conditions on a case-by-case -case basis. That you are looking at the person individually, holistically looking at their entire life and assessing what even triggered the depression in the first place before we start giving out recommendations that are just, you need to pray more, you need to read Quran more. While these are important parts of the treatment, let's make sure we leave the actual treating part to the professionals. So once again, this episode was not meant to be anything more than just general information and support and perspective from an Islamic point of view. I am not a mental health professional, nor am I a scholar, but this is a topic, like I've mentioned, that has affected me personally and so many people close to me. If you have any thoughts, questions, concerns, or any issues with anything I've said, please feel free to reach out to me, DM me on TikTok or on Instagram. Both of my DMs are open. And inshallah, we can engage in dialogue from there. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. And that's it for today's episode of The Guided Journey. We hope you found it informative and inspiring and that it brought you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Remember, the journey towards greater faith and understanding is ongoing, and we're all in this together. So keep seeking knowledge, reflecting on your own experiences, and striving to be the best Muslim you can be. I'll be back soon with more insights and perspectives on the beautiful path of Islam, but until then, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.